It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. And we love Fire Away Friday. That means Alex and I get to talk to more people than we did Monday through Thursday. But we're going to hurry into it today. But Alex, I just got to ask, where are you today, brother? Well, good afternoon, Bird, and welcome to Fire Away Friday, everybody listening. I am at 106.9, the Billy Graham radio station in western North Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, they are so gracious. A time or two, when I've been traveling through or speaking at the Cove, they let me use their studios to do Exploring the Word. And that's where I am today, Bert. Well, amen. Hey, by the way, that number, we're opening the lines, 888-589-8840, but we we started off something new last Friday, the first Friday of the new year, and we're going to take two or three call, uh, questions that's come in at Word or Facebook, and so we're going to do that. But go ahead and line those calls up on the phone, 888-589-8840. Alex, uh, we had Dustin. He had called yesterday and didn't get to his call, and but he had emailed us too, and he had had a lot to say. But the biggest deal is why we worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, and not the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, uh, when it said it would last forever. What happened? Did that turn around? Well, yes, it was Resurrection Day. You know, the Bible tells us, and you and I were just in uh, John 19, 20, and 21 reading about this, says, very early on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And do you know that even Roman history tells us that the early church, we're talking literally just a matter of weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection, Christians were worshiping on Sunday morning. And and let me point something out, and Bert, I'd love for you to elaborate on this as well, but when we worship on Sunday, uh, we've had folks ask us, they'll say, well, why did the Sabbath get changed to Sunday? We're not saying that's what happened. We're not saying the Sabbath is uh, on Sunday, but we're saying that Christians have always had church on Sunday because that was Resurrection Day. It was. And again, let me share with you, the Sabbath took a rest of what he had done in creation. When Mm -hmm. he redeemed us, the two themes in the Bible is creation, redemption. That's the whole Mm -hmm. idea. That's what it's all about. And they started worshiping on Sunday. And matter of fact, guess what? Jesus came and visited them while they were gathered together in those upper rooms on the first day of the week. So uh, I, I think the foundation for worshiping, uh, worship the Lord anytime, because we're living right. in a society today because of Sundays being, you know, people having to work at hospitals on, and they're having to work in, on, on emergency teams, EMTs. And, you know, so some are doing it Saturday uh, so that they can have an opportunity to worship. So worship the Lord. My second question, and this is really interesting, and I, 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 I'm I, interested in your response to this one. And this is uh, from Chris, and she and he writes, I, it could be a male or female, K-R-I-S. A lot of times that's female, Chris, but we don't know for sure. How is the green burial composting different than cremation for a human body? Have you thought about that, the difference between those, Alex? Uh, you know, n- not exactly, although I, I I did do a show a couple of weeks ago uh, on the program I was filling in. I believe it was for Abe Hamilton, and we were talking about this because um, uh, two things. In the upper northeast, like up near Maine, they're, they're doing a thing called human composting. Uh, which I know this is very, you know, kind of grisly to talk about, but they got local permission to basically bury uh, a corpse and let it decompose into the soil. And then out in California, Bert, um, they recently, about a month ago, around Christmas time, they were talking about um, dissolving uh, a dead body in uh, hydrochloric acid. And let me say, um, first of all, the two-part of a question, you know, in what way might it relate to cremation or not? But then let me talk about um, Christian burial because the 
the biblical worldview affirms the personhood and the worth and dignity of all people. Um, we know that even though we're sinners, God loves us, and we, we, we matter to God. That's why he sent his son to be our Savior. But you, in a secular worldview, folks, um, you could call it materialism, you could call it naturalism, you might call it secularism, but it's a worldview that doesn't believe in God or creation. And the sad thing is, as Francis Schaeffer pointed out 60 years ago, the elimination of God will ultimately mean the elimination of man. Because here's the thing, these so-called green burials and even secular science itself, uh, they view humanity as the problem. You know, yeah. uh, Bert, right around Christmas time, there was an article that I was reading in uh, The Atlantic where um, a secular, and very often they'll use terms like globalist or futurist, and they were talking about that mankind needs to plan for a responsible extinction. Mm. Now, here's the thing. In the biblical worldview, after the plants and animals and planets even, the final thing, the crown of God's creation, uh, was Adam and Eve. See, in a biblical worldview, personhood matters. That's why we're pro-life. But these these green burials, uh, really, they come from a worldview that wants to get rid of humanity. Uh, And and Bert, it's always been a puzzlement to me how the very same people that will pass laws to save a spotted owl, they think nothing of aborting a human baby. Usually that is the case. Let me just say one little thing, and then we'll get to the phone calls because we got them lined up, and if we run short, Alex has got a question or two. But uh, let me just share this. It really does mark, I I would say, the, the not value in human life when that comes on. Uh, yeah. Cremation has been around, and it does not necessarily do that because the ashes are are taken. Uh, they're not used for compost. They are usually scattered or somewhere that meant memorialize. something. Yeah, memorialize them where the composting is just saying, "Hey, this is nothing. This is fertilizer. Let's put it back, uh, you mm. know, and use it." And so, I, I think there is a distinctive difference, Chris, and we hope that helps you. Well, Alex, uh, I know you got a question or two, but let's save those and go to the phone lines real quick. Yeah, let's do. Okay, Mark in Virginia. Thank you for waiting, Mark. But what's your question for us today, brother? Well, guys, uh, I've had this question of whether my interpretation of John 10 is correct. And this is my basic paraphrase is that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. But when uh, the wolves come, the hired hands run away. And I look at that in relationship to pastors that are willing to stand up for the whole gospel of God and guide their sheep. Otherwise, they're nothing but a hired hand. Just a hmm. thought. Mark? Good comments? Yeah, I would. I, you're not, I would say this. I, your comments are right on. I think, uh, you know, the gospel is priority that we've got to lay that down in everything the word of god but then discipleship part comes in and that discipleship part uh alex has issues of of the whole counsel of god of what it says concerning life of what it says concerning marriage and so yes i would say mark uh that good shepherd of the sheep the under shepherd stands on the word of god and i think you're talking about john and how we'd gone over that alex that's what jesus told peter to do in the last yes. chapter feed my sheep and uh you know paul would get on that and talk about you need the meat of the word and not just the milk only so yeah. good good under shepherds are going to feed the flock they're going to nourish the lambs with milk, but they're also going to feed the mature sheep with the meat of the word, aren't they? Well, they are. You know, John ten fourteen that the caller referenced, I believe Jesus said, I know my sheep and my sheep hear my voice. And, you know, speaking of uh, pastors that, you know, Jesus is the role model, John ten fifteen, Jesus said uh, that I lay, lay down my life for the sheep. 
and really um, a, a good shepherd of a local flock, a pastor, he loves his parishioners and he seeks their welfare just like a shepherd would do his utmost for the well-being of his flock of sheep, wouldn't he? He does. I'm just going to take time out. We're going to pray for pastors. Uh, this is yeah. Friday. Sunday's coming up. And Alex, I'm I'm preaching at Auburn Baptist Church here in Northeast Mississippi, and I just love it. Those folks are receiving the Word of God so readily, and so I want to pray for the pastor. Would you mind me doing that right now? Lead us, brother. Father, I thank you for uh, Mark and him calling about pastors and how they need to be so filled with your Spirit, filled with the Word of God, and help the pastors to love their sheep to tell them and teach the whole Word of God concerning salvation, priority. Uh, You know, yes, that is it. But also, Father, how to grow and where to stand to help others. And, Father, I pray that pastors would stand strong in the power of your might. And those that are listening today on the radio, that we have a lot of pastors that listen. May you strengthen them and bless them, and may you encourage them. And, Father, may they seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness, that when they come to the place of standing before God at the great judgment seat, that he will say to them, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Alex, we got another guy online. We'll see if we can get to his question and answer. Yes. Yeah, Ron from Tennessee. Welcome, brother. Uh, Thank you. I had a question regarding the exceedingly high place. And uh, it was was, uh, said that uh, the third temptation where Jesus was taken was you could see the entire kingdoms of all the earth. Now, you can't do that from Mount Everest, which I used to think as a kid, but now I realize from photography that you can't see all the kingdoms of the earth from the Himalayas. It's a, it's a really exceedingly high place, but from pictures of the moon, from the Apollo landings, you can see all of the kingdoms of the earth. So my question to you is, would it be possible that the exceedingly high place Jesus was taken to was the moon? Okay, Ron. Well, let me share with you, it's according to what time, I'm, I'm not making fun of your question at all, but it would be according to which direction the earth was turned toward you. Uh, you mm-hmm. could not see it all in one time. You would have to wait for the rotation of the earth. So that's a great question. Alex, you want to try to answer that when we come back from the break? Let's do that, folks. This is Exploring the Word, Fireway Friday. The number is 888-589-8840. When we come back after this brief break, we'll get to this question and your questions and more. Stay with us. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Roger Wicker, U.S. Senator from the state of Mississippi. He's the state senior senator and a former member of the House of Representatives. Psalm 7872 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Senator Roger Wicker as he represents the people of Mississippi. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Satan didn't disappear when Jesus rose from the dead. He's still at large. But Dr. Tony Evans says something crucial changed when Christ was resurrected. He'll tell us what it is and what it means as we spend two minutes with Tony. It says in Colossians 2, he nailed our sins to the cross, verse 15, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Your sin was paid for by the death of Christ. But because Jesus rose from the dead, something else happened according to verse 15. Satan's ammo was deactivated. He went into his own house of death, not only beat him at death because he rose from the dead, he stole the people out of death who were trapped there. And he redeemed us, Galatians 3.13 says, from the curse of the law. So that roaring lion had his teeth pulled out. And now he's on a leash. 
now this lion has been deactivated. Now you say, but I thought you were going to tell me how I can get Satan off my back. You may not know it, but I am. Jesus says, I took his weapons. Well, now we understand the person of Christ. It had to be a man empowered by God. We understand the payment of Christ. Finally, if you're going to be victorious in this angelic conflict over Satan, who's still alive, who still intimidates, you're going to have to understand your position in Christ. That's why it doesn't end with the resurrection. Jesus Christ was enthroned by God the Father and all powers came unto him, including the power of demons. If you need help breaking free from whatever Satan has used to keep you tied down, visit us at TonyEvans.org for details about Tony's book, Warfare, Winning the Spiritual Battle. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow weak or discouraged before he has established justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Isaiah 42, 3 and 4. American Family Radio. Fire Away Friday. We call it Fire Away Friday because it's all questions for all the hour on Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland and Bert Harper, so honored that you're with us. And the number, we have lines open if you want to call in with a Bible question. We will do our best to give you an answer. It's 888-589-8840. And uh, Bert, before the break, we had a really good question about uh, Matthew 4, 8. Now, the temptations in the wilderness, Satan tempted Jesus, and he said, if you're really the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're really the Son of God, uh, throw yourself off the roof of the temple, because remember, God's angels will catch you. And then this temptation where Satan said, if you're really the Son of God, you see all these kingdoms, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you'll worship me. And of course, the Lord said, away, Satan. And I want to talk about this, and it relates to the word show, S-H-O-W, because as the caller asked, from a mountain or where, from what vantage point of high elevation could they really see all the kingdoms of the world? And Bert, I've had more than a couple of skeptics um, point out to me, and they'll say, well, this, see, this is an example of when the Bible isn't really accurate, because you know, you could get on Mount Tabor or, you know, any of those high mountains, but you couldn't see Europe. You couldn't see all the kingdoms of the world. So let me hone in for a minute on the word that in the English is translated show. The devil showed him. In the Greek, Bert, it's a word, it's dike numai, but it's the word, we get the word demonstrate or point out. And what I think might have happened, Bert, is this. Um, It wasn't literally that they could see, although Jesus being omniscient, maybe he could. But let's say they're up on a mountain, and way off on the horizon is uh, Jerusalem. And then maybe in uh, some other direction, you know, is uh, the Middle East. I think what it means when it says Satan demonstrated or pointed out Maybe imagine gesturing with your hand and say, look, there's, as far as you can see, and all the whole wide world, and there's, there's you know, kings and kingdoms, any direction we look, uh, all of this, you know, I'll give to you. So I don't know that it has to mean that they visually could see, because in the incarnate state in a human body, you know, from a physical sense, you know, Bert, I think at sea, they say you can see, what, about 18 miles maybe? Right. But I think the key is that the word really means demonstrated or pointed out. Yeah. The word that the way I had heard it, and this is for Ron in Tennessee, he pointed out and they he could do that with mind or, you know, demonstration it 
uh, demonstrating it. And I, that is the whole idea. And again, there's usually an answer for that. And it's not an answer that we try to get away from. Uh, but many times there's answers for those questions that we have. And that was a great question, Ron, and we appreciate it. Let's go to Kansas and talk to Ann. Welcome, Ann. Hello? Yes, you're yes. on. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, I, I'm a Christian woman, and I am really battling with something that, um, I don't know, to me, there's a lot of people that are okay with it. And so I would like to know why, okay, God is so opposed to gays and transgenders, am I right? That I go, okay, so, like, how does that relate to the Bible when it is all bad? It, God doesn't want that. Okay, and thank you. Stay on for a minute for clarity. Listen clear, carefully. God's not against them. He's, a, he's against the sin. It's like uh, he hates divorce, but he loves the people who are being, getting divorced. He loves these people. He loves them enough to warn them to turn around. And there are scriptures that demonstrate that. Let me just give one, Alex, and then you take it away. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Were there, in other words, they'd been delivered. And notice how many times it says, but you were, but you were, but you've been justified. So that's one scripture that will help you, And Go ahead, Alex. Well, uh, thanks for this question. And again, you know, all of us need to rejoice that God God loves sinners. Now, he hates the sin because sin destroys the soul and the body. But God loves, and I want to be as clear as I can possibly be. I want to be as emphatic as I can possibly be. Whoever turns to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible says that we repent. Repent means to turn from sin as uh, one old preacher said, repentance means being sorry enough to quit, right? And the, But, Bert, let me just say this, and I want to spend an adequate amount of time on this question. First of all, to turn from sin, we've got to acknowledge that there are things that God says are immoral and wrong, and, and these behaviors are sin, uh, lying, stealing, um, fornication— and the Bible is unequivocally clear that homosexual activity is sinful. And to be saved, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, we could talk about Romans 1, 26, 27, Leviticus 18, 22. Uh, to, to be saved from sin, we have to acknowledge that what I'm doing is wrong in the eyes of God and that I'm guilty and that I need to turn to Christ to be saved. But I want to say specifically, and, and I know uh, that the secular world has done a pretty good job of trying to make Christians and ministers look hateful. Uh, and again, uh, we don't hate anybody. God doesn't hate anybody. But God loves the human race enough to warn us of the things that will destroy us. But here's why homosexuality in the eyes of God is wrong. For one thing, it's unnatural. It, it is against the design of the human body. But for another thing, it's a distortion of something God gave to show us a picture of the gospel. Bert, I believe that marriage and family, husband, wife, childbearing, family, this is a beautiful picture of the family of God. Um the Bible says the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all people. Now, not everybody has heard Billy Graham. Not everybody has heard this radio show. But everybody is a part of the family. And I think, Bert, what Satan has done to try to 
um, rob people of the most basic witness of the gospel. Satan has attacked the family. See, the family, just like Christ laid down his life for his bride, a husband lays down his life for his bride. Um, there is the the family of a, a parent and children. There's the family of God, the Savior and the believers. So the family and marriage is a picture of the gospel. But the final reason that every Bible-believing Christian should stand against homosexuality is this. All right, the Lord tells us to love our neighbor. And love, as Augustine tells us, is to seek the highest good of another person. Homosexual activity and gender confusion is always the result of pain and abuse. I mean, uh, and I want to say this, uh, nobody is born gay. They're not. Science hasn't proven that. Certainly it doesn't comport with what we know of God and God's Word. So, Bert, um, if I'm going to do what Jesus says and love my neighbor, why would I want to promote something that is the product of abuse, uh, sexual violation, pain, and uh, as a pastor, I've counseled people that have been sexually abused, and they want to take their own lives and harm themselves. So on so many levels, I, I believe that homosexual activity and certainly the homosexual movement has been the result of that one, the Bible says, who is the destroyer, the enemy of our souls. Thank you so much. And before we go, let me give you, in his image— Thank you. This is a documentary by AFR Studio, AFA Studios here in, and our, our home here in Tupelo. They've done a great job. It will help you. It will bless you in His image. One more thing I'd like to say: divorce, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, transgenderism. Why does God say I hate divorce? Why is fornication? Because it destroys exactly what Alex has said. God's perfect pattern for a family. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but the pattern is right. Man and woman, husband and wife, that is God's pattern from creation, and it was also carried on in redemption, as Alex said, to show Christ's love for the church. And thank you for your call today. It was great to talk with you. Have a mm. blessed, good weekend. Let's go to Texas and talk to Cheryl. Cheryl, welcome. Thank you. Um, I was I had a question about First Thessalonians. I think it's four thirteen, where it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And I was wondering, does that mean your literal body, so that after the rapture, if somebody um, dug up your grave, you wouldn't be there, or would that one still be decaying and God raised some other body, okay. you know, that you would have forever? Great question, Cheryl. Listen, it says uh, the glorified body. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he had a glorified body, and it says we're going to have a body likened unto his. Now, Alex, does that, you know, some of, we're talking about decay, cremation, and other things. So some of the bodies, there's not even bones left. They've decayed there but dust. But mm -hmm. through the miraculous power of God, if he made Adam out of the dust, I think we're going to be okay from the grave when he brings us up and with our glorified bodies. Do you remember that gospel song, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down? <laughs> do you remember that? I do. I do. Um, I, I really believe at the time of the rapture, uh, I, I think it's going to be like it was in Matthew 27, 51 through 54. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it talks about there was an earthquake and many of the saints which slept in their graves arose and appeared to many in the holy city. Bert, that, um, scholars call it the phenomenon of Matthew 27. I really think that was a little tiny snapshot of the rapture. So when, um, as First Thessalonians 4 says, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I think it means the those graves would be vacated. Amen. And, Amen. Yeah, and uh, the 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 body in whatever state of decomposition it had been in, I think that uh, there's going to be people glorified, get their glorified body, and there's going to be a lot of empty holes in the ground. There is, and we're going to be with the Lord forever. At that point in time, we're with Jesus. That's the good part of that. Cheryl, thank you. Let's go to Ohio, Robert. What part of Ohio are you from? 
Oh, I didn't know I was going to get through so soon. Uh, I'm from uh, <laughs> surprise. Huh? Go ahead, brother. <laughs> I'm from around Finley. Okay, yeah, I know where that, I know is. Where that is. Yeah. Do you have snow? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's spitting snow right now. Well, we saw not. two flakes here in Tupelo, two flakes, and we got all <laughs> excited. Okay, go ahead yeah. with your call uh, okay. question, Robert. Um, yeah, no, James to uh, James Stewart talks about we're not uh, saved by faith alone, but by works. Oh, in the book no, of James, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you answer someone who tries to use that to say? We're saved by faith plus works. Okay. So I believe we're saved by faith Amen. alone. Robert, thank you. Good question. Out, man, we're getting great questions today. The book of James is written to believers on how to live in this present world. Uh, in At Blue Mountain College, where I went for my undergraduate work, and Dr. James Travis was there. Still got a great Bible program, by the way. Dr. Ronald Meeks, he, he called the other day, and he says, I get to listen to you and Alex some on Exploring the Word. So anyway, but he, I remember what Dr. Travis said. He said, the book of James is a handbook for Christian living. That's the theme. And so faith without works is dead. It didn't say you earn your faith through works, but it says faith without works is dead. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. Well, you know, throughout the last 500 years, there's been discussion about this. And, you know, it's been said Martin Luther uh, really didn't like the book of James all that much or didn't like to preach from it because he knew that some people try to make um, salvation about works. And when we say works, a a meritorious thing that you do to cause you to deserve salvation. We we categorically reject that. But Bert, the the language of James two, um, it, it means that it's a faith that produces works, and the word works is plural. Uh, listen, uh, we are saved by the work that the Lord Jesus did on the cross. But once we have received salvation, a changed life, and invariably good works are going to follow. You know, as a born-again believer, uh, we we tithe and we go to church and we try to help people and we show the love of Jesus in hopefully 10,000 ways. But we're not doing that to get saved, but we are letting the Lord use us because we've been saved. Amen. Listen, those works come out of a life surrendered to the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God equips us. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we develop it, our gifts to serve Him. We're going to come back with more of the questions right after this break. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. The purpose of government is to secure God-given or inalienable rights to man. America's premier historian, David Barton. John Dickinson, who's also a signer of the Constitution, he said, an inalienable right is a right which God gave to you and which no inferior power has a right to take away. Wall Builders Live captures the ideas of the Founding Fathers and then applies those ideas to the issues of today. Sunday morning at 1130 Central on American Family Radio. Abraham Hamilton III, host of The Hamilton Corner. American Family Association is on the front lines in the culture war in America. We've been here for more than 40 years fighting for the biblical principles our nation was founded upon. And by God's grace, we are making a difference. One significant way you can join us in this battle is through a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. Not only will the charitable gift annuity benefit you, but it will benefit the culture-transforming work of American Family Association. Contact the AFA Foundation today to learn how you can shore up permanent income for your retirement years while supporting American Family Association. A charitable gift annuity helps you, and it allows AFA to impact America for generations to come. Phone 800-326-4543, extension 345. 
That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. When my wife and I first started having children, we discouraged our family members from speaking to them in baby talk. You know, the gaga goo stuff. The reason was simple. We wanted our children to speak English well. Baby talk would hinder that development. The same principle applies to spiritual development. If we want our children to be wise disciples of our Lord, we should ask ourselves how much of their time is spent investing in spiritual maturity. Protracted time in the company of spiritual baby talkers will inevitably cause harm. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net. For more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're going to go straight to the lines because we got people there waiting, wanted to ask questions, so let's do it. Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Jim. Welcome, Jim. Thank you so much. Uh, you talked about this a little bit yesterday and today, the sheep. Uh, I know Oh my, when Peter denied Christ three times, I know that he had to fall on his knees and just ask forgiveness. And I know when Christ asked him the third time, I can see I can see Peter saying, "Lord, you know how you know how much I love you," and I can see him falling on his knees. I've had to do that, and I understand what Peter went through, and that's what people have to understand. We have to ask Christ for forgiveness. Preach it, Jim. Mm. Amen, Alex. I want to just tell you, God hears a heart like we've just heard from Jim. You know, that God yeah. doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. I think Jim hit that one right on the head. Amen. Amen. And, you know, really that level of uh, the word is contrition, to feel sorry about our sins and to realize that we have sinned against God. This, you know, our disobedience and our sin and our embrace of that which is e- evil I mean, that's a sin against our Maker and the Savior who loves us. And that ought to break our hearts, shouldn't it, Bert? It should. Jim, thank you, brother. And uh, you've blessed us today by calling in. Thank you. Let's go to Ohio. And Mark, be sure and turn your radio off. Mark from Ohio. Okay. Uh, guys, we're going to have to move on and go to Allen in Texas. Allen, welcome. Allen, are you there? Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't hear my name. You oh, okay, sorry. I tried to say it. Yeah. yeah, I did, but he <laughs> we couldn't get through to him. Thank you. What's your question for us today, brother? Okay, yeah. So uh, when I missed your uh, – so uh, when you were in chapter five of John, so uh, I didn't get uh, any clarification on this, but I was reading um, the other day in John chapter five, when Jesus said, when you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, was he can, was he talking about communion? And if he was, did uh, Paul clarify that in first Corinthians? Okay, man, Alan, thank you for that good call. And we appreciate that. Let me tell folks this, by the way, and Alex, you take this away, but if you miss something, you can go to AFR and look for Exploring the Word, and it has podcasts. And most of the time, it will tell you specifically the scriptures that we were going over on those days. So, Alan, I I just wanted to pass that along. Alex, go ahead. Well, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about, you know, Jesus on the same night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and, uh, you know, uh, he said, this represents my my body that is broken for you. I think in the uh, Gospel of John, where he says, you know, if a man doesn't eat my flesh and drink my blood, he has no part in me. Uh, while, yes, the crucifixion 
and really the upper room was the basis for how we do the Lord's table nowadays. Ultimately, though, I think what Jesus was talking about is that we have to thoroughly uh, encounter Jesus. I mean, we it's the equivalent of having ingested food, you know, that it's so intimate and inside of us and personal that Christ is in us, we are in Christ, and and I think the the wording there, and I believe it was John chapter six, but it's the the strongest possible connection with you know it is it, what he was doing. I, I want to just I can't help but comment on this one. Uh, if you read the rest of that before you get to that, he's talking about himself being I am the bread of life, verse thirty five, and he is talking about Moses how they had to get that nourishment. And Jesus has come in and said, I am your nourishment. Just like God gave them the manna each morning, God has given them Jesus Christ. You need to to come into him. You need to receive him fully, not partially. So in that context, uh, I, is it directly with uh, communion and Lord's Supper? No, but I, you can see it there. You know, as, as what you do when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're remembering what the Lord has done for you. And so that's, uh, I hope that helps uh, a lot there, Alan. Let's go to Louisiana and talk to Tony. Welcome, Tony. Hey, Brother Burton, Alex. How you guys doing today? Doing great Good. today, brother. Hey, uh, I appreciate you guys taking my call. I've been doing a little uh, Bible history research recently, and I came across a term that I'd never heard of before called Yahwehism, and um, started doing a little research trying to find out about that, and uh, there was a connection being made between the Canaanite god El, E-L, and uh, there was uh, some efforts being made to try to connect that to El Shaddai, uh, one of the names of God in the Bible. And so uh, I, I just was uh, wanting to get your guys' comments on that, what your feedback was. Okay. Alex, you know about this. I think we've had this before question, haven't we? Yeah, and this relates to uh, what we call uh, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And there was something called the documentary hypothesis uh, that— there were, um, uh, from among what ultimately would become the Jewish people, people uh, hodgepodge together, and what we've got ultimately is the first five books of the Bible, and that gives us a picture of this God, Yahweh. Now, Yahwehism, or the Yahwist tradition, sometimes they'll hear it, but um, right away, that's a code word that whoever's writing about this doesn't really believe the Bible like we do, like God gave his revelation. And maybe one of the best books on this, and it might be a little hard to find, but I would encourage you to try to seek this out, Um, God Spake by Moses, by a guy named Oswald T. Alice, A-L-L-I-S, O.T. Alice, they called him Old Testament Alice. (laughs) Um, Now, Bert, the documentary hypothesis says that, look, there were all these polytheistic gods and pantheistic gods, but the Jews, um, they mashed it all together and came up with the, the highest god, the one god, Yahweh. And there was a German scholar named Philip Schaff, S-C-H-A-F-F, and he said this, and it's true, that um, it's not that you take lots of religions, and you work your way up to monotheism. In reality, what history shows is the human race originally was monotheistic first, one God, and then it unraveled and degenerated into polytheism like you have in like India now. So th- this idea that um, Yahwehism was this thing that certain Jewish uh, editors dreamed up no, we believe that God has revealed himself. And when you read Genesis, in the beginning, uh, you know, El, El, God, and then you've got some um, things that elaborate on that. Uh, El Roi, the God who sees me. Elohim, which is a very, it's one God, but a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Bert, I, I think whenever you read 
about some theory about how man invented it, um, you want to back away from that and let's stick to what the written revelation says, that the eternal God revealed himself to the human race. Let me just add this to this, Tony. It's like evolution. No, it's not evolution. It's going down with devolution is what I call it. Exactly. Adam and Eve were human completely. They did not develop. They did not evolve. Uh, Man has gone downward. It, It was the highest you could be that God had made Adam and Eve. The same thing is true with what just Alex said about God revealing himself. God revealed himself to them, and then the polytheism developed from that. Just like evolution has a cart before the horse, even beyond, that's a, uh, not a strong enough t- statement to say how bad it is. That theory of Yahwehism and that is doing the same thing. It's going backward in place of looking forward the way they should. So thank you for your good call. Let's Okay, we got Dustin from Oklahoma trying to get through. You're here. Go ahead, Dustin, with hey. your question. Yes, sir. So I've been, like I said, I'm a alcoholic in recovery two years i'm studying the bible the torah in hebrew the original documentation and i've been in the first five books and god tells us tells moses and tells everybody to f- keep all of my commandments for all the generations and now i'm having a problem with our western churches and everything preaching the fact that because jesus came there's nothing we need to do I understand all we have to do is believe and trust in Jesus to have salvation. But I find it offensive that we're doing all these things contradictory to what they were doing back then, honoring on Sunday instead of Saturday, uh, Christmas, calling it Jesus' birthday when it's not, and et cetera. And I just I don't know. What is your opinion uh, on okay, that? Okay, Dustin. Thank you for calling. Alex, don't have a lot of time. Dustin, we've gone over this quite a bit, and we did the Sabbath and again, we're, we're not talking about undoing. Jesus came not to do away with the law, but he fulfilled the law so that when we have faith and trust in him, we have life. And, and from that, we obey him. We follow him. All but one of the Ten Commandments was repeated in some way in the New Testament, except remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All the others were were told again or taught again, weren't they, Alex? They they were. And um, by the way, I commend you for your diligence in reading the Word of God and wanting to find out the truth. But he, here's the thing. In Jesus, we uh, get this wonderful gift that we couldn't otherwise attain or experience, and that's that the keeping of the law in perfection— is attributed to us. So that's why Bert and I will often say, you know, the believer is justified in the sight of God. And Romans, and I would encourage you to read, uh, look, if you're going to be a diligent student, read the book of Romans, especially Romans 5 and Romans 8. We are justified by faith. Now, in Romans 14, 5, Paul said, you know, one man esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike, but let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You see, salvation is a matter of being born again through faith in Jesus. John 3, born from above, Jesus told Nicodemus, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5, 1. But here's the thing, Bert, about the law. Um... If you want to keep uh, the laws or do your utmost to be an observant uh, Hebrew, go for it. But you need to understand that does not in one way get you saved or make you spiritual. You know, it's Romans 14.5, you know. um, Maybe you want to have a Sabbath on Monday or whatever— but um, Hebrews 4 also says that we're, we're in a perpetual Sabbath rest in Jesus. But the final thing that I would say about this is that uh, the, the keeping of the law, Galatians tells us, was not the plan of salvation because we so egregiously fall short and we break God's law. Uh, it says it was a schoolmaster to show us how much we needed a Savior, wasn't it? It really was. It guided us to see how desperate. The One of the best ones, we'll get to the last question in just a minute, but Dustin, 
The young man came to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? Jesus said, have you kept the commandments? He said, I've kept all those from my youth up. And Jesus knew his problem. He said, well, you go sell your wealth and distribute it. And it said the young man went away sad because he had great riches. God is looking on the heart, and out of the heart is the abundance of life, but it's also the issues of life. And so that relationship with Christ of faith in him, trust in him alone, uh, that is what the book of Romans and, as you said, Galatians teach. So, Dustin, thank you for your persistence and in calling, brother. And we hope say, congratulations for two years clean and sober, too. Amen. Go ahead, Alex. Well, one last thing I would say is there's a, a scholar, James D.G. Dunn, uh, James D.G. Dunn, and he is a big scholar on the resurrection. And uh, some men that we know are world-renowned, like Gary Habermas and Michael Lycona, they reference him. But here's the thing about Sunday worship. All right, uh, Dunn and others that are, you know, they probably no other living scholars have studied the resurrection as much as Dunn, Habermas, Lacona, and um, uh, there, there's one other, uh, the Bishop of Durham, uh, Tom, it'll come to me. But anyway, here's my point. Within two to four weeks after the cross, think about this, within two to four, at most six weeks after the cross, early Christians were repeating and worshiping on Sunday. Now, they were worshiping on Sunday, Resurrection Day, and then they were repeating and teaching what later would become 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, Philippians 2. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, rose uh, from the dead, and by faith in him were saved. So there was the, the meeting together for worship, which included singing hymns, and then the teaching of the apostles' doctrine. And my point being, Bert, I mean, this is just weeks after Calvary. And so if we're going to say Sunday worship is wrong, I mean, this goes back to the very beginnings of the church post-resurrection. We would say Paul and Peter were wrong concerning huh. worship. That's that's what you would come, because uh, Paul made it plain in Corinthians. As you come together on the first day of the week, you lay aside that money so when i come i can collect it mark sorry we didn't get to you thought we could but we didn't and i hope you can call us back because we'd love to talk with you guys and it's been a joy to answer all the questions that came in today we love you and appreciate alex i uh, hope you have a great weekend you're going to be speaking to some young people that is true this weekend south mountain baptist camp in western north carolina i'm I'll be in there in about an hour in front of 183 teenagers, so I value everybody's prayers. Amen. If you're in northeast Mississippi, I'm at Auburn Baptist Church, and they have worship at 830 and 1045. I'll be preaching from the book of John. I hope you join us. But more importantly, make sure you find your way to the church and worship the Lord Jesus Christ Sunday. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.